morning from the Gospel of Matthew in the 18th chapter, this time verses 21 through 35. Here now God's words. Peter came up to the Lord and asked, How many times should I forgive someone who has done something wrong against me? It is seven times enough. And Jesus answered, Not just seven times, but seventy-seven times. This story will show you what the kingdom of heaven is like. One day a king decided to call his officials and ask them to give an account of what they owed him. And as he was doing this, one official was brought in who owed him 50 million silver coins. The traditional translation is 10,000 talents. And that's the way I'm going to talk about it in the text. But he didn't have the money to pay what he owed. And the king ordered him sold along with his wife and his children and everything he owned until he could pay the debt. The official got down on his knees and began begging, have pity on me, and I will pay every cent that I owe. The king felt sorry for him, and he let him go free. He even told the official that he did not have to pay back the money. As the official was leaving, he had to meet another official who owed him a hundred silver coins. So he grabbed the man by the throat and he started choking him and said, Pay me what you owe. The man got down on his knees and began begging, Have pity on me and I will pay you back. But the first official refused to have pity. Instead, he went and had the other official put in jail until he could pay what he owed. When some of the other officials found out what had happened, they felt sorry for the man who had put in jail, and they told the king what had happened. And the king called back the first official and said, You are an evil man. When you beg for mercy, I see you have to pay back sin. Don't you think you should sow pity to someone else as I did to you? The king was so angry that he ordered the official to be tortured until he could pay back everything he owned. That's how my Father in heaven will treat you if you don't forgive each of my followers with all your heart. The word of the Lord. I told you last Sunday something. If you thought last week was bad, just wait until this week. And so now we have Here it is in front of us. You see, the truth is, we human beings believe that we have limits. We have as far as we can go, and we can't go any further. And that's especially true when we start talking about forgiveness. A wrong is suffered, particularly if it's against our honor or our self-respect, is most difficult to forgive. If you want to see a good example, just look at any fight you've ever seen among church members, and that'll tell you about all you need to know about that. Sometimes injustice seems too easily explained away. When we hear somebody, maybe like a preacher, stand up in the pulpit and call for forgiveness as if forgiveness was cheap and easy. Well, I'm here to tell you, forgiveness costs the forgiver. You hear that? If you really want to forgive somebody, it's going to cost you. Maybe not them, but you. 
And if you don't believe that, then I invite you to look at what Jesus was willing to spend for us on the cross. Jesus is the one who has extravagantly, extravagantly forgiven. He rearranges notions of right and wrong, justice and injustice. Today's gospel is about forgiveness, pretty obviously. But it's also about the peculiar judgments of God. How far is the distance between the way we think about it and the way God thinks about it? We tend to be rather strident in the way we do things. We tend to think of it as a matter of retribution. Our attitudes about justice, wrong suffering, and forgiveness get pretty vividly depicted in the parable we've heard read today. Even though we are commanded to forgive as we've been forgiven, it is against our nature. But it's not against God's nature. In Christ, we have been forgiven. And divine forgiveness calls into question all those things I've already raised about the way we look at justice and injustice. How do we understand the great gap that exists between the way we see the world and the way God sees the world? And the truth is, in many ways, we can't. We can only begin to approximate what God is attempting to do in, for, and with us. Because it's sure not in our power to do it. The parable really sort of begins with mathematics. Peter, reflecting on last week's lesson, turns to Jesus and says, Lord, how often should I forgive my brother or my sister who sins against me? As many as seven times? And we say, gosh, that's seven times. Well, that's exactly what you ought to do. You ought to give people at least seven chances. And really what Peter is asking is, how do you forgive somebody who repeatedly offends you? Somebody who just doesn't really seem to care. They don't care about forgiveness. It's a good, it's a reasonable question that Peter asks. And Jesus doesn't answer it. And presumably the reason Jesus doesn't answer it is because he answered it in the text last week. He gives you a fourfold thing to do. You go talk to that person, you take people with you, you take it to the church, and if that doesn't work, then there has to be some way for the church to administer something that looks like this. That's what the text says last week. While Jesus does continue to be compassionate and caring for the repeat offender, I want you to notice that Jesus said, does not say there cannot be a form of retromand. There can be. And indeed, sometimes there must be, but it must also be compassionate and deeply loving and without retribution. Whether we are talking about people inside or outside the church, we do no one any favors when we continue to allow bad behavior to go forth. We're not helping and we're certainly not helping the society, whether it's within the church or without. 
Jesus is clearly speaking about inside the church in these texts we've heard read today. But the Apostle Paul, of course, is going to take it further in other places. The Apostle Paul is perfectly willing to say that government, the state, also has a state in this. But that's another sermon in another text. Some people hear a text like the one from last week or the one you just heard read, and they somehow think that Christians are not supposed to take any action against grievous sin except some sort of a meat. Oh, okay, I forgive you, I guess. No. Sometimes holding people accountable is the most loving thing we can do. Jesus says that we are to forgive. It is about letting go of the desire for retribution. And that's really one of the only ways we can hold people accountable in forgiveness. Easy to say. Terribly hard. Some of you are old enough to remember back in 1981 when Pope John Paul II was a attempted assassinate there in the Great Plaza in the Vatican. He almost died. The man who shot him was not a terrorist, as we think of terrorism in our day. It turns out he was really a Bulgarian hitman who worked for a mobster in Bulgaria, and some people think he was taking his orders directly from the Kremlin in the old Soviet Union, but I don't know what I think. At any rate, he failed. And as soon as the Pope was stabilized in the hospital, the word came out from the Pope asking the world to pray for this guy, because the Pope chose to forgive him. And then when he was well enough, he went and visited with the man, saw him face to face, and offered him forgiveness. Now it took the Italian state 20 years to turn the guy loose. That's again another part of the different story. The Pope, who is perhaps more visible than any of the rest of us as Christians, chose to forgive. But he didn't forgive the man for everything he'd ever done. He forgave him for what he did to him. And that's important for us to hear. You cannot forgive somebody who's not harmed you. What right do you have to grant forgiveness for something that didn't impact your life? If it didn't hurt you, what's to forgive? We're talking very personal things here. It has to do with things that happen to us that we're willing to talk about for going retribution. Jesus, in response to Peter's seeming magnanimous, can I forgive him seven times? Jesus responds, of course, to that famous saying, not seven times, but Actually, I read it said 77 times. The Greek can also say 70 times 7, which is an even bigger number. But of course, the real message here is not about mathematics. There are no calculators or mathematicians in heaven. 
Jesus didn't say, add it all up, and when you reach the end, you're done. It's about forever. It's about continuing to extend all this giving up retribution. Now, do you find it interesting that Jesus, as he tells the story, makes it about money? We hear the word talent. Now, I can't use 50 days or coins, but we hear the word talent and we think about the gifts that God's given us. That's because that's how the church has spun that over the years. But talent really means a monetary unit. Why does Jesus talk money in this case? I don't know. Why does he use debts and debtors in the Lord's Prayer? He does. Money is one of the things Jesus talks to us about, in spite of the way we cringe when we hear it. But the word here is talent. And that's really about money. Now, I want to be careful with the way we interpret this parable. It's what's called a kingdom parable. And Jesus isn't saying that God behaves exactly like a kingdom parable. That's not what he's saying. But he's saying it is descriptive of one of the things you'll see about God in the kingdom. And in many ways, Jesus is telling what we recognize, I hope, as a ridiculous story. It's hyperbole. It's meant to be outlandish. It is deliberate exaggeration. Did you ever think of it like that before? What king puts into the hands of any servant, no matter how faithful, 10,000 talents? All right, let's do the math. 10,000 talents. A talent is also a weight. It is about 130 pounds. I'm not much of a mathematician, but I think that's 1.3 million pounds. That's a lot. Think about gold and silver prices today if you want to know what we're talking about. In the calculations of first century Palestine, we're talking about everything's approximate, of course, $150 million. It is the labor of 2,500 years at the average weight. What king's got that kind of money? And how does this guy think he's going to pay it back? So the king, angry at the loss of the funds, wants to sell him and his wife and his child till he can pay it back. Well, we don't have all that stuff, we don't. That's called forever. But the guy falls on his knees and the text says he literally worships the king. And he begs him to have patience and he'll repay everything. And we know he's lying. He can't repay it. He'll never repay it. Nobody will ever repay it. Okay, well, if you're Bill Gates, maybe you can repay it. But I don't see any Bill Gates. And the king, I told you the story goes from the sublime to the ridiculous. The king says, okay, I'll not only forgive you, I'll forgive the dead. And he turns around 
two words. Now, who do you think Jesus is trying to get us to think about at this point? Pretty obvious, isn't it? Who behaves with that kind of magnanimous gesture? Oh, God. So the guy who has been forgiven so much walks out of the king's chambers and he finds another official who owes him about a thousand bucks. And he grabs him by the throat and he says, pay me what you owe. And when he says, give me a little time, he throws him into the same debtor's prison he was supposed to go to. If you think forgiveness is supposed to beget forgiveness, you don't know the human element very well. We're not good at it. But of course, it's going to have a story involves. The king finds out, calls the guy back in, and refers to him as an evil servant. And he gives him over, according to the text, to the torturers until he can repay every cent. Does that mean Jesus is talking about hell? That's what it sounds like to me. But the text doesn't really say that. But what it does say is that Jesus makes clear that our being forgiven is directly related to our ability to forgive. We say that forgive us our debts, forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. And you say, well, how can I do that? Well, by ourselves, obviously, we can't. The common misconception is, is that you have to feel it before you do it. But like a love in the Bible, forgiveness really is more an act of the will before it is a feeling. You have to act as if it's true long before you begin to feel it inside yourself. Anybody remember the name of the Dutch woman, Corrie Tindon? Anybody remember that name? You should. She was Dutch. She was in the resistance. She worked badly to save Jews from the Nazis until she was caught, along with her sister. And the two of them were put in ladies' work. One of the death camps. Her sister died there. Corey survived. And after the war, true to her deep Christian commitment, she went around Europe, I think even the United States, talking about forgiveness. And then she tells in one of her many books, I think she wrote 15. She tells in one of her many books that she is speaking in the city of Germany in the war, and she is in Munich of all places, Munich where it all started. And she's just finished the church service, and she says, I saw him coming forward, a balding man in a gray coat, wearing a brown hat. But what I could really see was a blue suit, a uniform, and a visor cap 
with a skull and crossbones. He was one of my daughters. One of the most vicious. And he walks up to me and he says, Fraulein, it's good to know God forgives us. Since the end of the war, I've become a Christian. Will you forgive me too? And Tim Moon says, the first thing I did was fumble with my purse. I could not reach out to his outstretched hand. And then she says, but I knew Jesus commanded forgiveness. And here I was talking about forgiveness. So I prayed. And I said, God, I can't do this, but maybe you can help me stick out my hand. And she did. And she said, as we grasped hands, it felt like a jolt of electricity. And in that moment, I forgive you, Mom. The bottom of my heart. I forgive you. It's the hardest thing we're ever going to do. I don't know who you need to forgive today, but it's somebody. And in the name of Jesus, we can begin to find that strength. You see, we bear the name of one who died for us. And we really don't have a choice. In the name of the Father and the Son.